This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Have your Bible with you this evening. Uh, you can turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. I'm just going to use these a few verses here as a jump off for, for my message this evening. Second um, Kings chapter 5 has been uh, preached on not that long ago in the church. Um, and uh, a pastor mentioned it when he was talking about uh, the prophets. Uh, but we're going to look at it and we're just going to go in a slightly different way. Second Kings chapter 5 and uh, we're going to start at verse 9. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash at the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, uh, uh, indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over uh, the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and Phaphar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophets had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. It's a, it's a wonderful story. It's, it's a vital story. We obviously know that from the scriptures that, that, that Naaman had leprosy. Leprosy in the Old Testament was often pointed to as, a, as, as, as sin. It was referred to because it was unexplainable and it came upon people and it was a curse on people. And it was, it was identified as sin. And here Naaman is under the curse of sin. He's, he's, he's got this death penalty over his head and he's come to the prophet. One of his servant girls, you know the story, has said to him, oh, my master, if you had been in Israel, you could have gone to the prophet and he would have healed you. We all know the story and the background of it. And it's a fascinating insight and it's a wonderful picture into the culture and into what was happening at the time. And it's a wonderful image into what God does and how God can save, how God can heal through something that seems foolish, that seems innocuous like a river, how God could do mighty things. And it's a wonderful thing. Naaman was not happy with the offer of salvation. He said to him, you go down to the river and wash and you'll be clean. Naaman was like, no, no, no. That's not the type of salvation I want. I don't want to be saved in your dirty old river. I want to go to to Damascus, oh, mighty Damascus, the city that has been there for a thousand years with these two great rivers. Damascus, oh, look at the Abana and the Faithar. They're greater rivers than this wee trickle. Surely these are better rivers to get saved in, to get delivered in, to be washed clean in. Isn't it remarkable? When you think about it that way, Naaman was offered, go down that wee river there. You're you're practically a stone's throw away from it. No, 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 that's not good enough. It's not good enough for me, Naaman said. I want to go to the Abana and the Faithar. All of our people know these mighty rivers. 
One of them feeds the city of Damascus. Oh, the city which, which had been there for years. The mighty empire of, this, of Syria. Whoa. That's the type of salvation he wanted. He wanted a big deliverance. Now, go down to that wee river there. But it wasn't good enough for him. Isn't that, isn't that strange? Well, for us, in our minds, in our way of thinking, we're going like, just, just go down there. Would you pull the finger out? Wind your neck in and get down there. But it wasn't enough for him. He wanted more. He was not happy to go to the, the, the prophet of Israel. He wasn't, wasn't happy to go there in the first place because this is the enemy. These are the people they had conquered. We were greater than them. We've got a mightier army than them. This is, he's humbling himself. He's going to the, to the prophet of another god. You know, you can see how he would be struggling with these type of things. How he'd admit that he needed help. How he needed someone else to intervene. Someone to help him. The message was too simple for him. It was too humbling. The simple waters of the Jordan. Oh, it's not enough. He was ready to go out and take on a Herculean task. He was ready to go out and set out in the voyages of Sinbad around the world. Jason and go get the golden fleece. It was Jason, wasn't it? He was ready for something big and dynamic, something else. You know, I, I don't think looking at the comments of Naaman, looking at it in this context where this isn't good enough, this offer of salvation isn't good enough, I want another one. I don't think our society today would be too shocked at that idea. I don't think they'd be too surprised that people are looking at the offer of salvation from the church and from God and going, it's not quite enough. It's not quite good enough. I don't like it. It's a wee bit restrictive. It's a bit too much exclusive. I want something a bit more, something else. I want something bigger. I want something a bit more flavor to it. Maybe a bit of spices from the East. Society's looking for answers. They're looking for salvation. They're just looking in all the wrong places. The simple gospel message to them doesn't seem exotic enough. Doesn't seem inclusive enough. It doesn't seem special enough to them. Naaman jumped at it. Once he heard, go down to the river and watch. I know two other rivers. I know two other. I've got two more options. I've got somewhere else I can go. He immediately jumped to it. And yet, moments before, he didn't even think of washing in a river to save himself. But we see over and over and over in our society, this turning away from the things of God, turning away from the Bible, turning away from church, turning away from any offer of salvation that we might have because they want, to, they want a more inclusive. They want to throw off the chains of the past. The morality of the Puritans are nothing to do with us. We want to live free. We want to enjoy self-discovery, self-identification, self-whatever. And yet they wrap themselves in chains over and over again. The chains of political correctness. The chains that have no governance, have no foundation in anything other than emotion. We live in a world today that is so, so sad. It is so confused and so hurting, and they don't know where to turn. Living in a society today that reels against this idea of having an exclusive message. Because our message is exclusive. It's very exclusive. It's very specific. But so is every other religion. Every other belief system in this world is very exclusive. It's very, you can't be a Buddhist and be a Christian. Some people might try and say they can, but you cannot. 
You can't be a Muslim and a Christian. You can't be a Muslim and a Buddhist. You can't do it. Their ideas and their beliefs are incompatible. Naaman wanted two more rivers. He wanted two more options. I can be saved somewhere else. I got some more hope out there other than here. That's, that idea is too small. That wee river you've offered me there, it's a dirty wee river. Don't you know it goes into a dead sea? And if it goes into a dead sea, it's got to be bad. We've seen all the types of religions, all types of people try and push us all into one box and say, we know what you are, we know what you believe, but do they? Do they? The truth is that there's a million people out there crying for another way to God. They want a million and one answers. We want a million and one ways to get saved. We want a million and one ways to get saved. But if God was to grant them that and say, okay, you've got a million and one, they would want a million and two. They would want a million and three. They would want a million and four. They want more and more. Anyone who's on a diet, I'm not going to look at anyone. Anyone knows what a diet and one of those well-known dieting plans? Right, Gary? Knows that there's one of the dieting plans. I don't even know which one it is. Could be Weight Watchers, for all I know, or the Slim Fast or something. But they've got sins. They talk about sins, and they give you a certain number of sins a day. Now, you do realize, for those people who are taking part in these sort of activities, you do realize your seven sins or 17 sins, whatever it is, a day is going to be the maximum amount, not the minimum amount. But isn't that the way? We don't just want our what, 15 sins. I want 15 and one. I want 15 and two. We want to add other options on because our nature is that we don't like to be restricted. And yet, at the same time, we cry out for boundaries. Look at children. They flourish. They flourish whenever they have got boundaries, when they've got restrictions, because it sets a clear path. Because we like clarity. Internally, God has made us in such a way that we like the truth. We love the truth. We try to hide from it. But God knows that we are made in such a way, and he's made us this way, to walk in truth. And whenever he would give us boundaries, then we know what the truth is. Because this is the boundaries, this is the truth. And so too with us, and with our message, and with our gospel. There's a clear idea, and there's a clear gospel. There's a clear gospel. The, the, the idea of what it is, is clear. It's not confusing. It's simple. It's simple. We need to get back to what the clear message of the gospel is. There's too many confusing voices out there. There's too many other rivers that people are looking at and people are following after. People start out with their, with their idea of what the gospel is and then they change it and they adapt it and they mold it. They mold it to fit their circumstances. Naaman was a hardened soldier. He was used to bloodshed. He was used to making decisions that would see men die. He was hardened in his thinking. He was decisive in his thinking. He was cynical sometimes, probably. It's fair to assume that he was very clear-cut, do it, and that's all there is to it. We live in a world today that's very cynical, that's hardened to the idea of coming to church or humbling themselves before God that are cynical to the things of God and Christianity. They're doubtful. They're skeptical. They, and the churches, in, by and large, a number of churches, they should say, not by and large, a number of churches have changed their message. They have changed their gospel to fit the culture. 
They have changed what, what, what they preach from the pulpit to fit what people want to hear, what people are in their congregation tend towards. And this is one of the greatest tasks and struggles for, for pastors and, and for anyone who sits in the pulpit, is to find that middle path, to find the truth of the word and to walk in it. Because we have the tendency as normal humans that we want to be popular, that we want people to like us, that we want to fill seats in the church, that we want to attract more people in. So we could adapt our message to appeal to more people. Now, don't get me wrong, it is right and it is fitting that we adapt our mode, our methods, but not our message. Our message has to be clear. Our message has to be precise. Otherwise, we end up with a caricature of the gospel. We end up with some sort of twisted sort of distortion of what really is the gospel. I can remember when I was thinking about this, I remembered our, our wedding. And we had a, a person doing caricatures. And I had one good friend of mine. Um, none of you know her. But uh, she was absolutely affronted by her caricature. <laughs> Whereas I looked at it and went, fair play. <laughs> And we don't want, as people of God, we don't want to have a caricature of what the gospel is. We want to have the real gospel. We used to, we used to talk about what the full gospel businessmen, the, the, the truth of the whole of scripture and the whole of the gospel message. You know, the greatest nest builders in the, uh, in the bird world are the eagles. I'm sure pastors heard this analogy before. The eagles make the greatest nests. They last for years and years and years. And they're huge things. Have you ever seen any pictures of eagles' nests? We see nests in Germany, and I was trying to figure out if they were uh, eagles' nests because we're on the odd house, you know? Stork, is it? There you are. Um, so they, the, eagle, the eagles make the biggest nests, and all the birds gather together, and they said to the eagles, tell us, we need to know how to build a nest. We need to know what your secret is. And the eagles went, okay, tell you what, we'll show you how to make a nest. Let's get the big sticks. So they get these big sticks and they put them down and they, of course they're using their beaks and their talons, but they arrange these big sticks in a sort of angles and a stork flies off, thank you. <laughs> a stork flies off, I've got it, I know where to do it, that's it. The eagle shakes his head and then he goes and gets smaller sticks and he puts them more around and he twists them and he kind of turns them in. And actually the crow flies off, I've got it, I know where to do it, that's it. And then he goes on a bit further and he shakes his head and he gets some uh, um, skins of some of the animals he's killed and he puts them in there. And another bird flies, oh, that's it, I've got it, I know how to do it. And then he shakes his head and then he gets some of his small feathers and he puts them in there as well. So a lot of people, a lot of denominations, or not denominations necessarily, but a lot of churches that have got a bit of it and have run off with it. I've got it, I know how to do it, I'm away. And that's all. But it's important that you stay to the end <laughs> and you get the full idea of what God is saying and what the gospel is. Because you know it's important that we tell people what it is, what the gospel message is. Otherwise, they end up with some sort of half-truth. They, they end up somewhat inoculated to the gospel message. I think I know what. How many people do we meet in our daily lives who think it, they know what it is to be a Christian? Who think it, they know what the gospel is? We see people over and over again who, oh, I've heard all that before. They spit out pop truths, popular truths which aren't really truth, about, oh, Christianity, all oh, it's all about hell, fire, and brimstone. Oh, you Christians are all about this. Oh, the gospel's all about this. Oh, God's all about this. 
They think they know the truth, but they actually do not. They just know catchphrases, urban legends from a bygone age. So I want to look tonight at a couple of things that are not the gospel. A couple of things that are not the gospel. And of course, at the end, we'll look at the gospel briefly. It's been refreshing having the evangelists in from the ace, especially Hannah Bloom there a few weeks ago. And when they come over and over again and we see their enthusiasm for the gospel, the enthusiasm for truth, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. And it's, it's a, it's a, it reminds us again of how vitally important the gospel is in this day and age, how important it is in our lives and how much change it can transform in our communities. So the first gospel is... I'm, I was fasting at the time. <laughs> it's a gluten-free gospel. <laughs> a gluten-free gospel. You ever had something that was gluten-free? Well, I can tell you. I know that... Uh, I don't know what gluten is, but I want extra gluten. <laughs> One of the most powerful truths from Scripture, which is central to the gospel message, is that God is holy and that God is righteous, and that God is the judge of all the earth. That is vitally important to the gospel message. Vitally important. That he is awesome, and his standard of righteousness and holiness is way higher than ours. Way higher than ours. We don't even stand in comparison, even on the scale of holiness and righteousness, next to God. We're not even close to it. We don't even register as a blip. His expectation of us is a million times higher than we can ever hope to achieve. The gluten-free gospel is one in which the law, the righteousness and justice of God is watered down. It is understated or removed. The gospel is softened and made more palatable. They don't talk about the law. We don't want to talk about the law. It's the Old Testament stuff. Don't talk about the law. But the law is important for us to know. It's an important part of the gospel. 1 Peter 1.15 says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. We have to know that God is holy. You have to know that God is holy. Otherwise, what, what is the good news? It's not the good news that I was under sentence of death. I was under sentence of judgment. And I have been saved. See, the gluten-free gospel leaves out the law. Oh, that's old stuff. We don't talk about that. It leaves out God's holiness. That's Old Testament. He's Jesus. He's cuddly. He wears white. Like the choir members tonight. <laughs> you know... They want that sort of Jesus. But if we don't have a full picture of Jesus and of God as holy and righteous, if we take that out of our message, 
where, where is our thankfulness for his grace and his mercy? Well, he's gracious and merciful. That's great. But he's holy and righteous. Oh, well, I love his grace and mercy. I love it because I know he's holy and righteous. You see why it's important that we have a full picture and why we, we avoid the gluten-free gospel? We have to have a, an image of God and of the gospel that's true. Grace and mercy only makes sense if it stands in contrast to right, the righteousness of God and the judgment and wrath to come. If we have that, those balancing each other, he is holy and righteous, and yet he is gracious and merciful. We think of God as gracious and merciful because we know he is a judge. <coughs> the next point we have is the Diet Coke gospel. <laughs> when the gospel is cheapened, the good news becomes meh. <laughs> we didn't talk about sin and salvation. We talked there and mentioned about uh, uh, law in the gluten-free gospel and the Diet Coke gospel. We don't talk about sin. You're not sinners. You've just been a wee bit bad, but you're not sinners. Salvation. Have you seen those churches that don't talk about sin and salvation? It's all about how you can have a nice life and you can enjoy things and you can have fellowship with one another. They don't focus on the fact that you're a sinner. I remember having a conversation with someone and, and highlighted the fact that Christ had saved me from my sin. And they were like affronted. They were affronted that I would even say that I was a sinner. It's like, oh, that's old school. That's us. This person even claimed to be a Christian. <laughs> she actually wanted to interpret my dreams. <laughs> But it was like, you know, you know what? If you leave out sin and salvation, the fact that God is holy and righteous is the first one. The second one, actually, that means that I am a sinner before God. I have made mistakes. See, this is more personal. This is my feelings now. And if we leave out the fact that I am flawed and that I need a Savior, if we leave that out of our message, what sort of Christ do we have? What sort of gospel do we have? We don't have a full picture. Some will compromise the truth in order to be relevant. When this happens, in reality, the church is taking in the, from the bloodstream of the culture. They want to be inclusive to everyone, and we don't want to push anyone away. We don't want anyone to feel bad about themselves or about what they've done in their lives. We just want to embrace them, which is nice sentiment, but there's no truth in it. We have to have truth. See, God can't transform us a life unless the life knows it needs to be transformed and has come to him and asked him to transform them. It's vital that we realize that we are sinners before God and we need to be saved. We need to be saved. The next one's the Nike gospel. The Nike gospel, again, it's not food this time, but Nike, you can do it. Far, you can do it. This is much more of a religious gospel message, a message of you can do it. You have to do it. You have no choice but to do it. So those ones left things out. This one pushes things in. This adds to our lives. It puts burdens on us. It says you have to do this and you can't do that. You have to do this, but you can't do that. They, they sometimes lean heavier on the you can't do's than on the you can do's. They push on us religious burdens to weigh us down, to, to bog us down and to keep us back. This is one of those things that actually Jesus repeatedly 
came against the Pharisees for putting burdens on people. Those religious groups that, that pile onto the people burdens that, that are unnecessary. We have been saved from the curse of the law. We have been saved and set free, made into a new creation. We, we don't live under the old law. Yes, we have to be aware of it because that was what we were judged by. It was a teacher leading us on. But we don't have to be responsible for earning or maintaining our salvation. Yes, we should develop. Yes, we should become more sensitive to the Holy Spirit and to how the Holy Spirit leads and guides. And yes, we should be sensitive to what God, now the Holy Spirit leads us into sanctification, which leads us away from things we shouldn't be doing. That's how the Holy Spirit is working on us. I can remember when Sharon and I started dating. I said to Sharon, what do you see this movie? Oh, this is a brilliant movie. I haven't seen it in a few years. Let me stick a DVD on. I stuck it on. Five minutes later, I turned it off, and I go, I can't believe I watched that. <laughs> it's just the language and the violence. I'm like, I didn't realize it was that bad. It's been that long since I had seen it. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit's doing it. It's not someone out there, in a, if I was going to say from a pulpit, telling me you shall not watch Lord of the Rings. It's, it is someone saying you need to walk right before God. You need to let the Holy Spirit work on you. You should be growing in grace and the knowledge of God. You should be becoming more sanctified, more like him. And that's, the way that, that's the way we should be doing it. Those other things will happen. But whenever someone has a gospel message, I'm saying gospel in quotations now, a message that heaps on us, laws, rules, and regulations, then there's trouble ahead. I'm skipping over verses that I've got written down here. You can look at Luke 11, 39, so, and verses on from there. It talks about this type of thing. It said in uh, uh, Hebrews 4, 9, there is now therefore a Sabbath rest for the people of God. We're resting from all our religious efforts to acquire, to get into a relationship with God. Now we have a Sabbath rest with him where we can just enjoy the pleasures of being with God. The next one, the fourth one, is the veggie gospel. Like a veggie burger is not a real burger. Uh, <laughs> and like a real burger, the veggie burger is harmless and ineffective. <laughs> This is a sweet and harmless type of gospel message. Um, it is full of cliches and paraphrases without much substance. They're big in their praise and worship with absence in their Bible classes. They want the veggie burger Christianity and not the steak burger. They get all the things they believe from Christian living books, from Christian TV, from praise and worship songs they sing. That's where they get their entire theology based on that stuff. Not that those things are wrong. Not that anything I've said here makes, if you hear a sermon on any one of these points, that it's bad. Problem is, if that's every sermon. The problem is, if that's every day. You know, a bit of candy floss once in a while, a bit of a pavlova and a cup of tea is good. But I can't eat, I can't feast on that. I'm not going to grow up. I'll grow out. I'll not grow up. <laughs> so these things are not bad. But if that is the only way in which you're getting to know God, you're in trouble. When the Church of England broke away from the Catholic Church, Thomas Cranmere was the Archbishop of Canterbury. And he realized very quickly that all of the priests in the church, obviously now it was all the Church of England, suddenly no longer Catholic priests, he realized that most of them couldn't even preach a sermon. 
All they did was get up and do mass, and they repeated the mass, and that's all they did. And he realized they couldn't, they couldn't preach a sermon because they don't even been repeating what they'd heard. They didn't know for themselves. So he started producing sermons and uh, pamphlets, papers, and sending it around the churches. He ended up producing a book for that reason. The problem was that they didn't know. They'd never, never delved into the scriptures themselves. They'd never read the Bible for themselves. They never got stirred up on these things. I come to this church originally because of the sound Bible teaching. That's why I came here. I'll be honest. That's the entire reason I came here. Yes, I knew Pastor and Sally. And I knew that they preached a sound gospel message. I knew that there would be truth preached from this pulpit. I never thought that I would have the honor of preaching from this pulpit myself. But that was why I came here, to hear the sound gospel message. Sorry to say it wasn't for the praise and worship. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with it, but I came for the sound teaching. And in this day and age, it is so vital that we have sound teaching in our pulpits. There's so many churches out there who do not have full, the full gospel message, the full message of the Bible. They have a piece of it. They've got a big stick, or maybe they've got a twisted piece of wood, or they've got a wee bit of feather lining, but they don't have the full message. And as you hear the full message, as we've heard over this last few, well, 39 years, but certainly over this last while with pastor preaching on the master's men, you know, I'll be honest, I've been goaded and nailed. The Holy Spirit's been working on me, and he's been working on you and stirring us up and encouraging us and pushing us out of our comfort zone a little bit and forcing us to take another step to move on a wee bit. But you don't hear a full gospel, full teaching message in some churches. Some churches hear a twisted message, a caricature. And it's important that we, we appreciate this, this pulpit and appreciate what God has done here and what God is doing in our lives. The last point is the Haribo gospel, which is over in a heartbeat. It's the prosperity and positive thinking gospel. Again, it lacks, lacks so much truth. Not that God doesn't want to help us and bless us, but if we don't have the full gamut of Scripture, the full gamut of the truth and the gospel will be lacking. So here Naaman looked for another river. He wanted two more options. He wanted another way to get saved rather than what God was offering him. But we have the truth. The truth that we were sinners before Almighty God, that we stood in judgment. The truth that... God had sent his only begotten son to this earth, born of a virgin, lived a life like any man, except spotless and sinless, performed many miracles, was accused falsely of many, many things, blasphemy not least, died on a cross, his blood making atonement for our sins and saving us and making a way for us to get into heaven. And that is the gospel message. And that should be at the heart of what we do. That should be the heart of what we believe, that God is good, God is gracious, God is a righteous judge of all the earth, and that he's made a way where there was no way. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful to be saved tonight? Isn't it wonderful to know you've been forgiven? Isn't God good? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 
we produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information www.mpc.org.uk